Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Some people ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Happy Easter, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful Resurrection Sunday. Uh, this is Soapy Dollar, and my daughter Stacy is sitting in right beside me, and we're going to uh, get into our, cover our readings for this past week. And, of course, uh, we're going to relate them to the redemptive <laughs> story. Yes, William is in the studio with us. He wanted to make sure everyone knows <laughs> it. Hey, Grandpa, I'm here, too. Uh, and John is here to take your phone calls. Uh, he's got some great bumper music ready for us through the uh, through the evening. And so we want to invite you to join with us during this next 90 minutes, The Bible Live. Now, if you've never joined us before, perhaps you're on your way home now from a family get-together on Easter uh, afternoon or Easter evening, and you wonder, what, what is this Bible Live? What is it? We want you to know that every year, for 20 years now, we have been going through the entire Bible every year. What do I mean by that? Well, in the first place, I mean, we get a ch- you get a chance to hear every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible, uh, the Bible itself. So we want you to know that uh, we are a part of this effort to let you hear the scriptures themselves. So if you go to thebiblelive.com, thebiblelive.com, uh, we no longer have the program on uh, on the airwaves. It's uh, We've broadened and made it available to people all over the well, all over the city, of course, all over the state, all over the nation, all around the world, the Bible leadings are, are, are available on the Internet. So go to thebiblelive.com or just biblelive.com. Now, it's not the Bible alive. It's like Saturday Night Live, the Bible Live. And so you go to thebiblelive.com, and there you will find... Uh, our readings from this past week, well, for the past year, of course, you can hear the entire Bible is there for you to listen to, and uh, you you can do that. And starting at any book of the Bible, any place in the Bible, you you can find it in our reading schedule there. You can go back through our podcast and hear every scripture. Now, if you're on the reading schedule that we are on here at uh, the Bible Live uh, program, then you will be right now finishing up uh, this past. Last week, we we, um, went almost to the end of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 2 through 21. So we finished 1 Samuel uh, last week, and now we got right into a little bit of 2 Samuel. And now, if you remember, 1 and 2 Samuel were at one time one one work, one historical narrative um, authored, it is thought, by Samuel, Um, this 
bridge character, this transition character between the time of the priests and the prophets, between the time of the judges and the kings uh, of Israel. So Second uh, Samuel, then chapters 2 through 21 is what we read this past week. This coming week, and normally we are a little, uh, we are closer to uh, when we come to the Easter season or the Resurrection Sunday, we are finishing up the Gospel of John, and therefore we are reading about the Resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the grave. But we are one week off this week. Easter has come quite early. And so we are, we're just one week off, but don't worry. We're going to make it relate. Of course, Uh, there is one single narrative in, in the biggest sense throughout the whole scriptures. Of course, from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, first and second Samuel, all the way through the Hebrew scriptures. And, and, uh, then, of course, that 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then comes the uh, the last of the Old Testament prophets, that is, John the Baptist, and the uh, old prophets of the Old Testament mo, uh, model, as John the Baptist, who introduces Jesus the Messiah. And so, uh, that, but so all through the Bible, you have all these stories. And, and Stacey and I were thinking about how do we, how do we help relate all of these stories about uh, Saul and his son, Jonathan, and Saul being killed, and then David um, being chosen, selected by uh, God and, and designated to Samuel to um, anoint him to be the king of Israel. 25 years go by before it happened. Happens, but now this young man, David, this uh, teenage boy that was anointed by Samuel uh, 25 years before, now is has become the, the king, the leader of Benjamin and Judah in the south. Um, and he has to wait about seven and a half to eight years later to be declared king of all of Israel united. So he's David... Um, is able to unite the, the tribes of Israel to one uh, one kingship over both Judah and Israel. Now, uh, how do we relate that in all the stories? You, you've got so many people. You got Saul's son Ishbosheth. You got uh, Abner, the military. He was the general for Saul's uh, commanding general for Saul's army, and now for Ishbosheth, his son. And then there was um, Joab, who has been the commander of of uh, David's army, his forces. And uh, we're going to go through this period now where they they a lot of politics going on, a lot of um, maneuvering, trying to get advantage, trying to, uh, so it's going to be very, it's kind of hectic and it's very real, a very real situation, real people. Michael, you know, remember um, David's, uh, Saul's daughter, Michael, that was married to David. Uh, All of these people are going to figure into our narrative for this past week. And we'll try to get to them and talk to them uh, about them and help you remember who they are and their significance in the role of that moment. And that is bringing 
David to the throne of Israel. But there is a bigger picture, and we always have to keep this in mind. There is that scarlet thread that is working its way throughout the Old and New Testaments. There is this the redemptive narrative, it is called, that is going. God is, is calling out a people from, for himself out of every generation, every nation, every people group, every language. God is calling out a people for himself. And, and it's all based upon the work, the person and the work of this one who is called the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, uh, that was promised uh, as early as Genesis chapter 3, verbally promised, and then, of course, even um, symbolically promised uh, in the Genesis as well. Remember the, the when Adam and Eve fell into sin, God had to cover their guilt and their shame. Uh, an animal... Uh, an animal's blood was poured out, and they were covered in the skins. And for right away, we have this this picture of 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 redemptive substitutionary atonement, and that is what is going on now throughout history. God is bringing about this this redemptive plan that is centered upon an individual, a, a man who is going to be born, who would do what Adam and Eve were unable to do in the Garden of Eden. He will remain faithful and true and walk by total faith and obedience and, and, and submission to the Father perfectly. And then he who knew no sin becomes sin for us. He becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then we see that wonderful confirmation that God gives to his work by raising him from the dead. So, uh, in other words, we're we're going to talk about Second Samuel. We're going to talk about David and Ishbosheth and Abner and Joab and 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 Michael and all of these individuals, Uriah the Hittite and David's sin and all. But really, beneath it all and over it all, there is this God is bringing forth this narrative because in in our um, readings, we've also seen that God has promised that through day that. Through David, he is going to bring the Messiah. There is going to be a king, a Messiah, a Redeemer, who will uh, who will cause David's reign in the in the descendant in the ascendance in the descendancy of David that will cause David's uh, a descendant of David to sit on the throne forever, and that is talking about Yeshua, Hamashuach, the 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 Redeemer, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, who was on the side of Joseph and Mary. He was a descendant of King David, whom we are discussing uh, this evening in our readings from Second Samuel. So did I confuse everybody just a too <laughs> awful much there, Stacey? No, but what I, I think is... Straighten it out for me. Come well, on. Um, in all of this watchfulness and waiting... Uh, at this time, would the people, I guess just to kind of set the stage and the context of, uh-huh. of it, and there are a lot of characters, a lot of people, a lot of power grabs, a lot of... Yeah. Um, Politics of, as usual, right? Yeah. And even, even actually not... As usual, yes, but kind of more Game of Thrones ish even than <laughs> than what we're used to. I mean, mm-hmm. there's assassinations, there's plots, there's I mean, there's murder, there's I mean, it's pretty graphic. Oh yeah, uh, we were you know listening. I we were listening to it. Will and I, um, who's Will is seven, in the car, and there were truly parts where I was like I had to oh 
will you know, yeah, talk <laughs> right, real loud right. and not let him because it is uh, it is pretty intense. And I guess just you know setting the stage um, all this time though, like you said, he's he's he has promised, and they are going through. They they still are committed to the Levitical law, and they're they're watchful. They know that there is to be a Messiah. They know that there is there is some uh would so in all of that would they have been looking like maybe david is our guy maybe uh you know maybe uh jonathan maybe saul maybe who you know all of this time are they constantly kind of looking and thinking maybe this is it maybe this is the one maybe this is the messiah maybe this is a messiah um would that have been uh, the, or at this point, were they just wanting some stability and some protection? Both, right? Okay. There, every, every moment has its own particular setting, its own particular demands, its own particular uh, circumstances. Yeah. And so that's where you get... You know, Saul's uh, Saul has died now. Jo- uh, 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 Jonathan is gone. Um, David has pinned his great uh, funeral dirge for them. You know, mm-hmm. oh how the mighty have fallen! Mm-hmm. And so now David has been declared the king of Judah, and they the. All of the maneuvering starts. You have Saul's son, Ishbosheth, is in the north, and uh, Abner is, is going now. He's going to be faithful to Ishbosheth. Abner was Saul's commander in chief, uh, commander of his forces. And then you have Joab with David in the south. And, and now they start the maneuvering starts right. about who's going to, which one of them is going to be the actual king. Right. Do you think that they ever would have, I guess, kind of tying it into Easter, into Christ's coming? And to what he did, do you think they ever would have actually thought, "Oh, God Himself is going to come, is going to come"? Do you think that that was? And no, at no time did David ever think of himself as. as no. No, David never. It, mm-hmm. And that's one thing that Jesus himself points out mm-hmm. during his ministries, uh, because it, it's Psalm. Um, what Psalm is it that where David says, um, I've got it right here. Uh, David says, the Lord said to my Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and so David right. himself is very clear about the fact that he's not the Messiah, but that one he time. has a Lord. He has a descendant mm-hmm. who now who is going to be his Lord. Right. Psalm which 110. Is, yes. Which is a very different. Uh, usually he would be superior to any descendant. Uh, in Psalm 110, mm-hmm. David says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And in Matthew 22, Jesus quotes this verse in a discussion with the Pharisees in order to prove that the Messiah is more than David's son. He is David's Lord. Lord and yeah. so, yeah, you're, you're right. It all figures in. And that's the thing we're seeing, Stacey, is that as we read the Hebrew scriptures, some people are very much in tune right. with God's redemptive plan. Right. Uh, Daniel comes to mind, you know, just to, and and uh, let's say uh, Samuel and, and and one of the, some of the more faithful 
uh, understand the prophets, Isaiah, mm-hmm. yes, uh, all, and all of the prophets uh, mm-hmm. that we see, um, all of the prophets, Amos, Obadiah, mm-hmm. Micah, Nahum, mm-hmm. and all, right. they all saw that. That's mm-hmm. one distinctive that they had is that they understood it. Now, among the kings and among the people, uh, there were some who had a firm grasp. David seemed to be one. He, he understood. Now we have to be careful because they don't, they don't know what we know. Uh, now looking back, so obvious, David, (laughs) Yeah, clearly don't you see, but, but they did, um, uh, they, they, some of them saw it very clearly and, and they, and they, they understood and interpreted their times in light of that overall, Redemptive narrative that mm-hmm. God is going to send this one, this Messiah, this Redeemer, mm-hmm. uh, this hero who is going to be uh, God Himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe that's kind of the distinction. And, and that, and David didn't necessarily know who or when, but he knew he was not it. <laughs> yeah, maybe he knew he the, was not it. Maybe that's the distinction, uh, kind of between. David and and Saul even David, I mean not but mm-hmm. uh, that humility and that kind of recognition that I am a, but a servant and a, a part of this and awaiting. Whereas yes. there seemed to be others that were caught up still in a in the power right. or a struggle or in a just in the small story, not in yeah. the big picture. Of well, if you think doing. it's messy now, yeah. we, and, and and just think about it, we've only gotten through two kings, yeah. <laughs> Saul and David. Wow. Uh, and, and it's already kind of got, now, and, that, and we've established that that is what the difference was between Saul and David, is that Saul evidently, now, we don't know everything. We know only what we see in the scriptures and uh, as what can surface in our understanding from the scriptures. Uh, Saul evidently was at the very least religious. He was he was very a religious Jew, and he uh, he believed in evidently believed in God. It, but the one the big difference between him and David was that Saul didn't get it. He he thought he was thinking only of um, of political Israel and military Israel and keeping that peace. And he, his eye wasn't on the bigger picture of uh, of being the people of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the, and so Paul, so Saul. That's one reason he was rejected. He to be that king. David got it, and David. Because of his faith as a youngster, because of his understanding of the scriptures, David looked forward to that Messiah, that Redeemer. He understood that that Israel was to be a lamp to the world; that they were to to maintain a faith, be faithful to their to the, to God, the true and living God, and that they were to uh, represent God to the world of their times, to the to the Egyptians and to the Ammonites and to the Moabites and all these other people groups. That they were to present and be faithful to the true and living God, the creator. And then finally, he understood, too, that uh, the people of God was more than just Israel. It was people everywhere who would respond to God with faith, with submission, with longing toward him. And David knew that. Now, he also received a promise from God. Uh, we call it the, the, the Davidic covenant yeah. that God covenanted with David and said, I'm going to uh, you. Are, I'm going to establish your dynasty, your heritage, your throne and you forever. 
Someone from your heritage, from your descendancy, is going to be that Messiah who will have an eternal reign. Which brings us to the topic of <laughs> resurrection. Oh, there we <laughs> because go. There you, see, when you get into talking about things being eternal, right. all of a sudden we're not talking about mm-hmm. simply um, a temporal, um, temporary or momentary leader. We're talking about we're talking talking about that one that one mm-hmm. uh who deals in in eternal absolute terms and that is indeed what Jesus came to do uh as a, a descendant of of, Ad, of uh, David on both his mother and father's side he came to be that that um great hero that king that righteous king the righteous judge the righteous branch you know there's so many uh uh, uh images that were given of the messiah in the Hebrew scriptures. So anyway, that's the way my best shot at kind of making a bridge between 2 Samuel, which we are going to try to Mm -hmm. unpack a little bit tonight, and at least many of the characters that were involved, uh, some remarkable stories, as Stacey has already mentioned. Um, These individuals, this was, uh, it's it's essentially a seven-year period. We're going to be talking, seven- to eight-year period. We're going to be talking about when Saul uh, dies, Jonathan is killed, David is declared to be king of Judah uh, with his city of Zion, the city of David, as it's called, uh, uh, that was populated by the Jebusites, this city called Jebus, but they call it now Jerusalem. And uh, so city of David, and so uh, from... From his capital there in Judah, David now is going to spend about eight years, eight years, going through this tremendous turmoil and, and upheaval of uh, becoming the king of all twelve tribes of Israel. So that's that's what Second Samuel is about. First Samuel is about essentially about Saul, uh, Samuel, and then introducing the first king of Israel, Saul. Uh, and Jonathan, and of course, introducing David as a youngster, as a teenager, and we see all that he had to go through under Saul's persecution and so on, how that God was at work bringing about his perfect will, his perfect man for that moment uh, in David. Now we have David on his way to becoming king of all of Israel. And so the second Samuel talks about that eight-year period, and then it goes into talking about uh, his reign over all of Israel. And, of course, that gets us into talking about Uriah the Hittite, mm-hmm. Bathsheba, you know, the, his the, the big... the. Terrible sin of, mm-hmm. uh, of of both. Well, uh, he had his one of his commanders killed. I think they call it fragging in military terms today. Uh, they first he had an affair with this man's wife, and which resulted in her being pregnant and a child named Solomon. And uh, late, later on as well, um, that that baby it's a that baby by that. Uh, mistake by the adultery dies, but then uh, so we there's just a lot of adventure, a lot of things that take place, good and bad uh, throughout this period, and then we settle into the reign of King David, which is really a, a, a time of. of in terms of Israel, it's called the, the golden age of Israel. They reach the peak of their influence and their power uh, under King David and in, on into his son Solomon, where it collapses under the um, under the 
the weight of so much taxation uh, and of course just jealousies and, and mount up between the tribes and and, and the, the nation becomes divided again so there we are that's at first and second Samuel in a nutshell let's 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 list, list some of the people Stacy that we're going to uh, be talking about uh, Saul's son Mephibosheth of course Abner was his commanding general David's commanding general is Joab and we're going to find out that Joab is a boy he's a rattlesnake I mean boy he's a believer he's one who believes in God and Evidently, at some levels, we see certain things in Abner that, I mean, in Joab, that it looks like he is truly a, a godly man who seeks after God, but he is no doubt about it. He is a military person. He is a general. And so... Um, we see that we see they're maneuvering to see who, if David can become king over all of the twelve tribes, and uh, uh, Ishbosheth, I'm sorry, Ishbosheth uh, gets assassinated as you've already mentioned uh, in here. Then David rewards the two men who killed Ishbosheth uh, by killing them, yeah. cutting reward, off hands and feet. Reward, quote unquote. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so uh, then after that, Judah crowns David their king, and then. Uh, eight years later, uh, David, well, he captures Jerusalem, mm-hmm. afterward called Zion or the city of David. And then uh, some years later, then he is declared to be king over all of the 12 tribes. Now, Nathan is someone I haven't mentioned yet. Nathan is a, a, a prophet. Now, I, I told you that Samuel was a bridge from the from the influence of the priests, the high priests and so on, to the prophets of Israel. Nathan is a follow-up to him. And Nathan is a prophet who, through whom the Lord speaks to David and uh, both messages of encouragement and of judgment and correction. So David is a, uh, Nathan is a perfect example of these, these prophets of God who spoke fearlessly, courageously into the lives of these kings. And it could be a very dangerous thing to do. Yeah. You know, a king could have them beheaded or killed, and some of them did just that. Uh, but they had to put, you know, Nathan shook his bony finger in David's face and said, you're the sinner. You're the one who's done this great sin against Israel. So we'll talk about all of these people, uh, and try to make sense of it and kind of ring up some of their narratives. But I would like to give you a chance to call in as well, two teams. 310-340-9585 210-340-9585 and the first thing I'd like for you to consider calling us about tonight is I'd like to hear your take on on Easter on resurrection on Jesus the Messiah being raised from the dead uh, as a confirmation of his person of his work uh, his redemptive work for us on the cross. So I'd like to hear uh, what, you know, every year the, uh, the the Easter can be a little different, a little different take, a little bit of different emphasis. I'd like to hear what you discovered this year about the Easter season and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 210-340-9585. Give us a call. We'll be taking your calls in this second segment.
He is risen indeed. What a day. What a moment to remember, recall. Has all sorts of implications for us. And I would like you to give us a call tonight, 210-340-9585. Perhaps you're a pastor. Perhaps you're the, the one, who, uh, a teacher today. Someone came up with a perspective, a, a read, and a, a view of the Messiah and the, and, and the, and the, res, the place of the resurrection of Jesus in a way that was so unusual and such a blessing to you. Well, give us a call. Let us know. There's, there's so many, it seems like every year there's a little bit of a different take, a different emphasis depending on what our lives are going through, what's happening to us. And uh, it comes always, though, as a message of hope and encouragement uh, that that he has risen. The, the, the primary, most difficult, most complicated question of all of our existence. You know, if a man should die, if a man dies, shall he live again? Is there life after death? What does, what is going to happen? It couldn't be more practical because every human being on the planet goes through the portal of death. There's, there's no exception. <laughs> every human being. And, and so we have this, this, event this moment in all of history when when one you know and there's no way we can't we can't learn about it you know we can science can probe you know other planets we can look into the atoms and the molecules and health and genetics now and so on and so on and so on but there is a hard sealed door between this life and the next and and we there's no one's been able to Crack it. Nobody had been able to go, oh, okay, this is exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all come to that moment uh, in the dark in a way what we I don't love, know. Yeah, what except, I love about that, mm-hmm. though, is that, that Lewis, you know, despite we've that we've never experienced it, and despite uh-huh. that somehow there's this universal kind of a, a desire for it, mm-hmm. the universal almost expectation that surely mm-hmm. there is mm-hmm. eternal life. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of that Lewis um, point where he says, where there is a desire for something, there is in creation a fulfillment of that desire. Yeah. And if then we desire something that is not of this world, the only natural conclusion is that it is it is it is it is heaven still <laughs> it to come. it's still to come it exists it it, is, it, it, and beyond this world yeah right. I, I, that's in that same context he talks about the idea of it uh, as being abs- uh, absurd to have a desire uh, not just for some one individual but all of humanity mm-hmm. every, every country every language every culture every society Everyone looks forward to mm-hmm. uh, to another life, another world. There's this understanding that, you know, and, and of course the scriptures say God has placed eternity in our hearts yeah. and we long for it and desire yeah. it and we we wonder about it. Uh, every culture, every discovered has always had burial rites and preparation for the, mm-hmm. the happy hunting ground or for the, yeah. for the next life. Right. And, and, and that is true. And, and Lewis points out in that section that that would be, it, it would be, as absurd that if there isn't that as for a person to, to 
be thirsty. And there be no water. And no such thing as no water. No such thing as, well, not just that there not be available water, but no such no thing. No such thing as water, as yeah. water, yeah. Uh, which is a, a, quite a remarkable observation, yeah. of course, uh, on our friend C.S. Lewis part. Well, anyway, there, uh, there we have our invitation for you to call tonight. Be a part of the program. Give us a, uh, give us your take. Give us your understanding, your thought about, uh, resurrection, the significance that the Messiah, this Redeemer, this Savior, yes, yes, he he, he went to the cross, and the cross has become the symbol of, of uh, the Christian faith in a great sense uh, around the world. People wear a cross around their neck or put it on our building and so on. Uh, I, I have a theory about that, though. I just think okay. it's a matter of expediency. It was easier to make Two lines. A little cross, two lines, you know, uh-huh. uh, to make a little symbol, of, you know, to hang around your neck and so right. on. I, I don't know how you would fashion an empty tomb. Yes. <laughs> I mean, people would go, what is that? You know, that's an empty tomb. I'm, I'm hanging around. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. That, I wouldn't have recognized that. Uh, it's a little harder to, to yeah. use it. But, but to a great degree, the empty tomb is the, in some ways, the greater symbol. Uh, right. of of our faith and of our experience now as the people of God. Sure, of the victory. Sure, of certainly the victory. Of it. Mm-hmm. The cross, I do think, though, what is uh, it's just such, it's still an amazing thing that, I mean, it was an instrument of torture. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cross would have been uh, in who, terms... Who would believe that you, centuries would, later we would yeah. be carrying around, wearing it around our necks? Right, exactly. <laughs> like, that would have been something that would just evoke fear and you make your heart race just seeing it. Yeah, nobody yet, even wants to think about no, it. You know, right. And yet he, tra- I mean, he completely, if anybody could redeem such a thing, <laughs> it would yeah. be the God. cross. The, yes. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, three days later, the empty, the empty tomb. And, uh, well, we're still wanting your call. I'd love to hear from any of you. If you have a, an interesting take or thought uh, about the resurrection and its significance, let's get into Second Samuel, though, yeah. Stacy, and okay. talk about some of these people. I've already mentioned, of course, the key figures here are Saul and David in the big picture. The, it's the... The kingship is passing now from the first king of Israel, Saul, mm-hmm. to David. This one, this young man that Saul has been persecuting and and um, chasing all over uh, Israel and, and thereabouts for many years, uh, trying to get him removed and out of the way. Uh, it, it's a strange relationship between Saul and David. Sometimes it seems like they were kind of close and, and Saul had an appreciation and admiration for him. And other times there was this jealousy and wanting to kill him and remove him so that his son, Jonathan could be, uh, you know, to, to further his own dynasty, his own kingship. Um, but that's, that's the main character. But then you have, uh, as I said, Saul's son Ishbosheth. you have Abner, uh, the military, he has to be taken care of and he gets removed from the picture as well. Then you have Joab, David's, uh, general and, and king. Um, you have Nathan, who is a prophet to David. And in chapter 7, it's a significant, significant chapter in Second Samuel, is where the Lord makes a covenant promise to David. Uh, he makes it very clear that David is to be um, David is to be the uh, the king, 
and that he is going to establish David's dynasty. Uh, his not only him being the king, but his son would be king. This all starts when in chapter six, where David uh, tells. Um, David says to Nathan, you know, I, I want to build a house for God. Uh, and see, there, you, right away you see the this idea that David is sensitive and mindful of God. He's mm-hmm. He wants to worship God. He wants the people of Israel to worship God. So he's, he's uh, we need to create a, a house of worship, a, a, a temple. And, of course, uh, we're told then that, David, you're not going to be allowed to do that because you're a man of war. Blood is on your hands, and but your son will. And, and, Solomon, and that your son, uh, that your dynasty through you and then your son, and we know that now to be uh, Solomon, mm-hmm. that through them there there's going to be an eternal, the throne is going to remain eternally in your uh, in your dyna- in your descendants, mm-hmm. and of course that brings us to the consideration of Jesus of Nazareth, who became the king of Israel, who was the king of Israel, and of course even. David, David's Lord, as we've already mentioned from Psalm 110. So we look at that. We have Nathan here. We have we have this this remarkable experience in chapter uh, 11, where David uh, falls into temptation and sin. Now, most everyone is familiar with that. I it is it's interesting to me sometimes that uh, certain people their sin. The failure, in particular, David here. How would you like your worst moment, the worst mistake you ever made in life, (laughs) to become the thing that that you are remembered for? I mean, he had a lot of good, a good characteristics. He did a lot of good things, and and we do remember good things about David. But of course, above all, remember David and Bathsheba adultery. Remember him killing, trying to hide his sin. Uh, and killing, having Uriah the Hittite, one of his own commanders, which makes it even worse. I mean, someone who who loved him, was faithful to him, who fought for him, and um, David has him killed. Um, both of those being in normal, in normal sense, capital crimes. Mm-hmm. I, I always used to wonder about that how how does that square with how did they escape how did david that? escape that mm-hmm. you know he, he both of those are terrible sins and, and i uh jacob uh, uh, a good friend of our program and was a coach for a lot of years uh, from a jewish perspective i think he kind of helped me understand that that every J- jewish commander Every Israelite commander uh, signed some kind of a document that upon their death, um, David becomes uh, the king becomes their the husband of their wife or something like that. I, I may be getting that totally wrong, but there was some kind of a, a protector. L- There's some kind of a legal arrangement that okay. they had signed as members of his military mm-hmm. that. Technically, in some legal sense, allowed it was not uh, that it would not have been adultery nor murder. But, now, I'm so sorry I'm not able to give it more correctly. Um, even when I was told it, I thought, hmm, that sounds a little fishy, you know. But, that seems convenient. But, but that, 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 that may be how the whole thing was justified because, uh, you know, I've... Uh, I wondered, and years later, I thought, I wonder why David, why wasn't the law 
the penalty of the law exacted on him right. well, for having sure. done those things. Mm-hmm. Surely there are other instances, though, that were violations of the law that weren't. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> probably too many. Right. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, this one is out there for everybody to see. This one is not mm-hmm. hidden or obscure at all. Very, very prominent. Well, even though, I mean, Tamar and even the yeah. wives, I mean, and I mean, there's, it seems as if the law is there, but the uh, uh, enforcement of it was perhaps not spotty at best, right? <laughs> yes. Just, uh, well, you're exactly right. And I, and I guess that's one of the great themes that come out of Second Samuel as well. Although it's relatively clear what was supposed to happen. Yeah. Yep. David had already been anointed. Right. He was to be the king. Yes. In certain levels, David followed God's. He didn't kill Saul. He he respected God's anointed. He didn't take it on his own. And then even when when uh, assassin when, they when somebody killed, else did right, he, he punished punishes them. them. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> See what I mean? How it comes to the uh, the, the the law was all right for them, but I don't know about right. David. That's that's the point. But anyway. Um, Maybe you have a thought about that. If you'd like to give us a call or someone could add, put meat on the bones that I just described in a while ago. Maybe you can give a little, well, a little I, more detail. I think that's kind of, it falls right in line with, it, in terms of just the human heart and where we ourselves fall. Uh, we never want to be so jaded and so cynical and so uh, um, hopeless and kind of, that we don't desire God's perfection and God's holiness and righteousness, but we also don't ever want to be so prideful and so full of ourselves to think that we could actually attain his holiness and righteousness on our own. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this sort of sweet spot of where God wants us personally and maybe even as a people where we desire the law, we desire him and his holiness and his righteousness, both personally and politically, uh, in the, in the truce and polity, pol, pol, um, mm-hmm. and, and yet we aren't so proud that, to, to think that we could achieve it without him. And yeah. So and that, that and that, is, that's very good. Uh, go ahead. Finish up. Well, and I think that I'm that's glad you bring where this up. David, I think that's kind of the heart of Dave. I think that's why he's called a man after God's own heart, because he recognizes that he desires that he wants it, but he also realizes he is, uh, he is that man. Yeah, <laughs> that and he is unworthy. That he is he un- is, is not. And that's what I wanted yeah, to say is that this particular period of time gives us another example of the fact that God is sovereignly going to bring about His purposes. Mm-hmm. He is He is covenanted, as you pointed out back when we we were talking about Genesis and Moses uh, mm-hmm. with Abraham and all. God is covenanted with Himself right, to right. bring this about and to to. You know, we're told in the New Testament, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And that's the commitment that God has made is that through this Messiah, this Redeemer, he is going to to redeem humanity and, and bring about the possibility of reconciliation so that those who love God, want God, desire God can be made right with God forever and to become the people of God forever. Uh and that's God's doing, and the but the point is, is that it has no human element. It's not no human being has a 
causal function in that. Uh, But the, the amazing thing is that God can bring about that perfect, amazing objective goal of redeeming humanity in spite of <laughs> fallen, sinful, weak, fragile right. human beings. Right. It's like it's like Pharaoh. For remember back when we were talking about Moses in uh-huh. in the book of Genesis and here God is trying to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. And of course Pharaoh doesn't want to, but God uses Pharaoh even in his wickedness and his rejection of God and so on. Mm-hmm. He even he is able to accomplish his purpose in spite of Pharaoh, even using Pharaoh in the process. And and that's, we see that going on here as well, is that uh, as much as we may love and admire David and and think a lot of him, um, we know he had terrible weaknesses as well and so on. So it's not because of David's goodness uh, that God does. It's his grace still. Mm-hmm. Oh, grace yeah. is still operative mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And and God has just committed that through and with and through David, uh, through your your descendants, mm-hmm. I'm going to um, bring about this. This uh, Your throne will last forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, there we come to the Messiah whose whose kingdom is far beyond just the the frontier, the borders of of physical Israel. It's the whole world uh, is his kingdom and the people from every nation, every tribe and so on around the world. Real quick, you mm-hmm. said no causal function. What would be what would be then the function A reactive function, a watchful function, a a it's a faith function, I think. Right. Function. Like you say, it's mm-hmm. it's not in and of itself the perfection uh, whether it's a Billy Graham or a Bill Bright or a Soapy Dollar or, a, you know, I'm not putting myself in their category. I'm just saying at any, <laughs> right, your right. pastor, my pastor, uh, any great, good, wonderful pastor. And there are some wonderful pastors mm-hmm. in our city. We are greatly blessed yeah, we are. with with uh, pastors who love their people, who yeah. faithfully serve, who teach the word and preach the word and, and, and give great counsel and leadership uh, to their people. And, of course, to our city. So we've been blessed that way, but uh, it's it's never really uh, any one of them worth their salt, even among the best of them would admit and confess that it's pure grace. Yeah. You know, the great Max Lucado, you know, that who we know is skilled and talented. Oh, Max would be the first to talk about his own weaknesses mm-hmm. and his own foul ups and his own uh, mistakes that he's made and so on. So it's, it's not causal in the sense that we are so good that, you know, God, we're lucky. God, God is lucky. He has us so that it, in spite of our, you know, we tend to wander away from, we're prone to wander as the old hymn says, uh, that God has, because of his name's sake and for, for Christ's sake, for the kingdom of his son, there he yeah. works in and through and with us. Yeah, you know, is it sometimes when, you, when I think of causation, when I think of cause, you think of sort of one thing affecting another thing, kind of in a, in a linear boom, 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 boom. I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe it's more like this kind of cliche, but uh, it, it's it's a really, I guess, it is really is a relationship. It is it is a person who is not causing 
God to do anything. It's a person that just, that knows God so well that there's a oneness there. There's mm-hmm. a, and in the main knows God, loves God, believes God, trusts God, obeys God, and it's not perfectly by any means, but, but his heart is set mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've thought of that many times because you, we all, we all fail. We all, you know, I've been through every season of life now, and I know the mistakes I make looking back on my life. Some things you'd be surprised. One of the things I'm most ashamed for in my own life goes back to when I was maybe 15 or 16 years old. <laughs> yeah. I was bullying a, 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 oh, a younger boy yeah. at Boys Ranch. Right. And I'm not, it's not really particularly like me. I've never been, but, but I, I was. Uh, uh, what was his name? Crouch. Uh, um, oh, I, I, but I was bullying him, and and I got caught and seen, and and uh, the superintendent of the ranch and saw me and came and I I saw him coming. I I knew he'd, I knew I'd been caught, and and so I threatened uh, not to say the crouch boy. Don't say anything now. You you know, whatever. Oh. So I tried to make it was terrible. I'm so ashamed. Of, even to this day, I look back and I think, man, I tried to have him lie about. It. And he tried his best, but oh. he was just crying like crazy. Oh. And you know, and I got yeah. you know, I got a whooping. I got licks for that, and I oh. got disciplined, and and, and so on. But uh, I, I, I look through life, and I mean, there were things far more serious even than that. That, that I, uh, the way I treat people, or what I did this or that or the other. But uh, yeah. but I do realize though that through it, I remain by God's grace. I remained in the battle. I never tried to excuse right. my sin right. and say, oh, well, it wasn't so bad. Well, that's right. not bad. That's not sin. Yeah. Uh, and, right. and I think that's the key element is that we stay in the saddle. Uh, we may fall into sin. We may have besetting sins. We may have mm-hmm. temptations. We may have addictions, gambling or this or that, or whatever it might be. And make big, but don't give in to them. Mm-hmm. Don't don't go to the point where you try to start excusing them. And say, well, you know, yeah. always keep keep up the battle. Keep praying. Keep asking God for forgiveness, and keep trusting the Holy Spirit to take it. Because of, eventually, it's going to be gone. <laughs> Either in this life or in glory, it's going to be gone. Uh, and and we just keep it up. Keep trusting. Keep fighting mm-hmm. uh, the battle against sin and for righteousness. And and I think that that is a key element. And that's one of the things about David. He he stayed in the battle. He right. he, he tried to he he'd mess up and foul up, but he then he would say, "Oh God, I'm sorry, I messed up," and and he would move on. Well. Um, Let's see. We, we're talking about David. We're talking about Saul. Uh, and still, I'm waiting on a phone call. I hope somebody might call about uh, Easter this year. What it meant. What significance. A new thought. A new what perspective did what what new or a special perspective was brought to your heart uh, this this year at Easter time. I'd love to hear from you. Two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. Now then, let's see. Uh, David sins against uh, with Bathsheba, adult. And, and and the key verse there, there's in the spring of the year, chapter 11, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites while he stayed behind in Jerusalem. Uh, 
I've heard that preached before as well. That uh, in, in the spring, well, if David had been out doing what kings supposed to be doing, leading their armies and you know, protecting their nation, he wouldn't have done that. He would have been in a position. He wouldn't have been. Yeah, but he was out. He was sitting as generals, and he had this idle hands of the devil's workshop, right? <laughs> well, there's our music. We're coming up on our third segment. 210-340-9585. That's our phone number. We'll come back and finish out our considerations of Second Samuel and Saul and David and Nathan and uh, Joab and uh, all of these these generals and how it came about. And we'll um, we'll talk about another mistake, uh, the consequences of the mistake that David made. And there were there were some real consequences in his life and in his nation. And those come out in chapter two. We are back. We are back to the last segment of the Bible Live broadcast. And uh, consideration there about this Jesus of Nazareth, his, this amazing, remarkable individual, uh, predicted, prophesied for hundreds, hundreds of years, finally comes, carries out his life, perfect life of faith, trust, obedience, submission to the Father, and then he is killed at, the, at a young age, actually killed, uh, unjustly uh, unjustly uh, charged of crimes, um, unjustly found guilty and uh, crucified for basically political reasons. And then, of course, all of that being, though, part of his own design and plan. He knew what he was doing. He said, no one takes my life from me. I freely lay it down. I, don't you know I could call 10,000 angels? And he walked into the trap intentionally, knowing what was going to happen to him. He intentionally and, and willingly took that cross, that punishment on our behalf, and then trusting that God was going to raise him uh, on the cross even. He said, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he knew. He had already told his followers that three days later I'm going to come out of the grave. Uh, he knew that on the basis of God's word. The scriptures were clear about the Messiah, what would happen to the Messiah. And um, Jesus uncovered it, knew it, believed it, trusted it, and experienced it on our behalf. He has become now the cornerstone. He is becoming the firstborn of the twiceborn. He is the prototype of the, the new race of humanity, the race of the redeemed. And he is the Adam of the spiritual race of the redeemed. That's what the Messiah has become. And uh, we are part of that. Today, here, 2,000 years later, uh, his kingdom has spread all over planet Earth. Millions and millions follow him, love him, trust in him from every tribe, every language group, every people group around the planet. And uh, what a what a, an amazing! I just only God, <laughs> only God. Well, now we're, let's go back to Second Samuel, though. We we'll get back into the the details of this particular moment and time in history when God was carrying out. Uh, yes, this whole plan was already in His mind, uh, and Jesus would come and be a descendant of this young King David uh, that we read about. But here we are in this moment as well, a very messy moment, a complicated moment, lots of different people coming and going, 
failures and and um, different kinds of experiences. And so that's that's the book of Second Samuel, and it's really worth living, worth reading. It's uh, it's very interesting, the human dynamic, the relationships, the courage of this prophet Nathan to confront King David and say you it's your sin, uh, and he was given David because of his adultery and because the 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 murder of uh, Uriah the Hittite, uh, Nathan delivered to him, well, in the first playing at chapter 12, Nathan has to make him see his sin. And remember, he tells a story about a rich man who stole his poor neighbor's one lamb. And and David said, oh, got all angry and huffy. All you know, oh, that man, point him out. I'll get that man. He should die. He he's he, he should be punished. And then Nathan put his finger in his face and said, you're the man. Uh, you're that one. And David confessed, I have sinned. Uh, and that's we pointed that out. One of the great characteristics of David is that uh, sooner or later, yeah, he dodged, tried to dodge a bullet, tried to get out of it. Uh, that was this was a year later almost that David sees this, uh, and he tried. He thinks maybe he has everybody fooled, and that no one's gonna. He's not gonna be held responsible, but uh, he is in fact. And there are five consequences of the his sin. One is that a sword would be a constant threat to David's family. Mm -hmm. He was constantly under duress Mm -hmm. from people from outside, uh, from other countries, uh, from his own nation, uh, uh, people uh, conspiring against him within within Israel, (laughs) his own family, his own son. Uh, The sword would be a constant threat to David's family. Now, remember, David had how many wives so far? (laughs) We're talking about he had Abigail, uh, Michael, Michael, Saul's daughter, Mm -hmm. uh, Bathsheba. Bathsheba. uh, And there was another, uh, I can't remember, number of wives. He has at least 20 sons Mm -hmm. from these different wives. Wives and families, so I mean, it seems like to me that in and of itself would probably have been enough to to really cause an incredible amount of chaos. Yeah. Um, but because of this sin, this adultery, and this murder, the, the sword would be a constant threat. And then Michael, Michael was his first, <laughs> and she was taken from him. Right. So we don't know when exactly. Uh-huh. But... Saul took him and allowed him to be married to an, her to be married mm-hmm. to another man. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> but then David, when he was negotiating with Ishbosheth mm-hmm. about who would be the, uh, the next king and so on. Part of the negotiations was, I, I need to get uh, Michael. Michael back. Mm-hmm. She needs to be, and they did. They took him, they took her away from the man to whom she had been married, and and gave her back. <laughs> I hate to even say it that I way. Know. Sounds terrible, yeah. but uh, gave okay. her back to David. Mm-hmm. Now, um, but they had a very unhappy relationship as well. I think. It, and, and I don't know about it. I don't know for sure. There was a time when Michael evidently had an affection mm-hmm. for David, and, and I assume it was re- reciprocated at some level. Before a little romance him, before she saw him dancing. Dancing, uh, maybe. The, I, <laughs> I really some of you may not know that story. That when they brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem uh, and finally got it right, David was dancing in joy and excitement, and and she took offense at that. Um, 
rightly or wrongly. Uh, so the sword would be a constant threat. Secondly, there would be rebellion in his household. And, of course, we we see that in uh, this son named Absalom. Well, remember one son, one son the, his oldest son, uh, forces himself upon his one daughter. Her name is Tamar, the only daughter mentioned uh, in all of David's family. He has all these sons, only one daughter. And uh, his oldest son was named Amnon. He forces himself upon his half-sister, Tamar. And and then Tamar's brother... <laughs> In uh, getting revenge for that, Kill. kills Amnon, Amnon. Mm-hmm. and so there you see there that's rebellion in his household, a sword to be a constant threat to the family, <clears throat> and then it says another man would publicly take his wives, <clears throat> and of course <clears throat> that again would be Absalom who who publicly, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that brings up a point that when you read about. Uh, the, for example, uh, one king or a general. There is a general, uh, Abner. He uh, he is Ishbosheth, Saul's son's military uh, general. But Ishbosheth loses Abner's military support because he accused the general of sleeping with one of his uh, one of Saul's concubines. Now we think of this as just simple immorality, but not sleep, sleeping with one of the king's concubines or wives was an actual um, threat. It was an act of treason. It was like uh, I'm. It was a, a claim to the throne mm-hmm. if you did that, and so that that's why that was taken so seriously. And I guess David, part of the reason that he wanted Michael back, I suppose. Uh, it doesn't look to have been romance, <laughs> but part of the reason was that... As much as I might want to think that. A little oh, poli- political thought, right? Yeah. Uh, another man would publicly take his wives, and in two other, God gave it, this uh, sin, David's sin, gave God's enemies opportunity to hate and blaspheme God himself. Mm. And that That is... That, it, of course, probably hurt David deeply as well because he honored God and wanted his life to honor God, but to to know. And I think probably I've seen in, in pastors and friends of mine through the years that I've had some friends that uh, fell from, not mm-hmm. fell from grace, they sure. lose, but they made mistakes and lost their ministry and their mm-hmm. families and so on. And, of course, some of their greatest regrets was that it, it uh, it dishonored God and gave mm-hmm. other people an opportunity to perhaps to not believe in God because of their failure, uh, which would be a mistake. You know, um, to we don't reject God because of other people's worthiness and goodness because right. we all fail and make mistakes, but because of His goodness and His faithfulness, uh, and, uh, our Savior and our God. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I uh, gave God's opportunity to hate and blaspheme Him, and then finally, the the fifth consequence of David sin was that the baby itself would die and that was a great sadness as well to uh, David and uh, shook him to the very core well uh, now I think that that's that that that's a tender uh, thing I mean just that he cared so deeply Mm -hmm. and that he 
really mourned that. And I, I that's always been touching to me that he really, the consequences, um, that he, he received it. He was humble. He mourned and grieved and sackcloth and ash, you know, and, and then he also though, you know, dusted, he, he, he mm-hmm. after he grieved, after he mourned, he mm-hmm. said, he moved Cleaned on. Cleaned himself up, dried his eyes, washed his face uh-huh. and said, well, you know, uh, I, I can't, uh, he can't come back to where I am, but I'll go to mm-hmm. where he is uh, at some point. And so he went on with yeah. life. And in light of, he had 20 sons, you know, he wasn't for lack of of offspring. So I mean, there's something really, I think, tender and sweet there. His recognition that what he did mm-hmm. um, re- directly affected this innocent little baby, you know, this innocent boy. It just, uh, I think yeah. that's really. But who eventually became his uh, heir to the throne mm-hmm. was Solomon. Mm-hmm. Solomon was the fourth son of David and Bathsheba. And he is the one who, his name he was named Jedediah as a baby and the name Jedediah means beloved of the Lord mm-hmm. which may possibly have been an indication uh from the Lord from God himself that Solomon was to be David's successor uh but his name Jedediah beloved of the Lord uh of course we know him as Solomon and the the wisdom of Solomon and so on and we'll get into uh his life a little bit more as we uh, come back to First and Second Kings. Once we finish, uh, after finishing First and Second Samuel, we'll go to the Gospel of John, and then come back to the First and Second Kings, and we'll pick up and talk about this uh, third king of Israel named Solomon. Uh, so, what was I going to say about uh, Tamar? You know, the the chaos, uh, violence within the family. Uh, that was all a part, a consequence. We're told in the scripture, chapter 12, we're told that Nathan the prophet pointed out these are going to be the consequences of your sin. Now, you brought up something during the break that I thought was very, oh, yes, the, uh, this one of the things you'll read about in chapter 10 was. Uh, a uh, couple of things. David kept his vow. Remember, remember, David had promised to Jonathan long before that uh, Jonathan said, "When you become king, please be kind to my family." Don't, you know, because yes. normally the reigning king would go through and clean house, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a sad thing to think, but they would go through and make sure that right. they didn't have a claim to the throne and come back. And David kept his promise to his good friend Jonathan, and he honored uh, his son, Jonathan's son, and uh, and took care of him, restored to them their property, and so on. So in inviting him, Mephibosheth was his name, uh, Jonathan's son. He invited him to live in the royal palace in Jerusalem, and uh, and he did. So God kept his vow to his good friend Jonathan. Uh, I mean, David kept his vow to his good friend Jonathan. Um, what else might be worth mentioning here in Second Samuel? As I said, there's a lot of people, a lot of movement, a lot of drama, a lot of uh, back and forth until things settled into uh, David finally becoming king over all the tribes of Israel. And, and you were mentioning the fact that Israel only enjoyed 80 years under King Saul and then now under King David where 
the 12 tribes were united. Mm-hmm. And by enjoyed, it, not just uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. not, not, loose that, meaning of the not word. that they were together and didn't enjoy it at any point. They, in other words, they were, um, yeah, they were only united for, uh, as 12 tribes, uh, under one rule, uh, a king for, for, 80, 80 for 80 years. And I, I just think that that's kind of an And even that under Saul, uh, there was some yes. division because right. David was out there, I guess, right. uh, there was always the pressure. There were always things trying to tear them apart. I assume. Right. And these twelve and these divisions. These were tribal divisions. So mm-hmm. it, would have been the, it was. It was. It was all kind of in the family. I it was guess. all very clannish. But mm-hmm. each. But remember that where did the twelve tribes come from? They came from Jacob, who had two wives and two concubines. These were twelve sons born to four different women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so again, uh, we see the wisdom of God's plan, one man, one woman for life. That's <laughs> right. uh, isn't that an interesting still? It, it's it's kind of this almost idea where, you know, God did say, be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> so they kind of got it right. <laughs> but, it, but it was Adam and Eve from the beginning. It was, it was one man, one woman. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we just, but I, I think that, you know, that is, and, and that's why the plan always was that we would need a redeemer to, yeah. to set it all right. But as a, but a, a heart that that is at least Godward, that is desiring His plan, that is desirous of of holiness and righteousness, that I think is that's what He works with. Well, in the final in the final analysis in the last chapters, uh, let's say chapters thirteen through twenty, we see the ultimately it kind of comes all to, comes to a boil. There's a Heathophel. There's uh, Joab and Abner. Joab ends up killing Abner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tell you that Joab was a mean. Uh, <laughs> he was a mean fellow. He he. Uh, who else did he kill? He killed. He kills Solomon. I, I mean, he kills uh, Absalom. Let me see who all did I have. I had written that down. Uh, the number of people that he ultimately, that Joab ultimately killed Abner, he was David's nephew. He, uh, um, Uriah, he was complicit in the killing of Uriah mm-hmm. because he David told him, pull, put Uriah up front and then pull all of our troops back and mm-hmm. you know, so he'll get killed. And then he killed Absalom. Uh, Joab was ruthless. You know, he he um, it must have been quite a warrior as well. Uh, no doubt about it. An incredible uh, fighter himself. But uh, so and we then, have a heat. And then in the end, Joab. Does he he offers his allegiance to Adonijah? Is that right? Rather than to Solomon? That's right. Exactly right. It's interesting. Then I don't know if Solomon. that's in. Well, that'll come up later. Uh, but then you're yeah. right. Uh, he is. Joab is an interesting uh, character, uh, no doubt about it. Um, he worked hard to reconcile David with his son Absalom, but when Absalom rebelled against David, I killed him. <laughs> Joab, um, so yeah. remarkable individual. Uh, then we have this guy named Barzillai. As David is being run out of town, his own son is—he's having to flee for his life. This guy named David, uh, named Barzillai, provides food and lodging for David and his men as they escape from Absalom across the Jordan River, and uh, and then David. 
pays him back and does him good as well. David, it's it's pretty amazing. Back and forth, back and forth. He's run out of town. He's restored to the king, to the throne. And then, of course, we'll when we get into uh, the books of Kings, we'll see how Solomon is chosen and becomes the king. Let's let's end our program uh, a little bit different. Uh, talking about, uh, let's go back to the Messiah. Go back to the Messiah and, and look at uh, how he is and remembering how he is the fulfillment of this covenant that God makes with David. And uh, Jesus is a descendant of David on both his mother and father's side. And that's all of those reasons, uh, that, again, that we uh, that Jesus is the main character. This Messiah character is the central personality, the central figure, and the central theme of the entire Bible. So even if you're reading the Old Testament or New Testament, ultimately it's it's still all about that redemptive plan and all about the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. Um, maybe I should ask you, Stacy. was there anything particular about Easter this year that you felt like was a unique view? Well, uh, I had, I guess one thing that I read was from 1517.org. It's an author, Chad Bird, who used to live mm-hmm. in Texas. They moved... Um, but I, it just was kind of an, an interesting thing. It was so, so typical of the Bible, but he just brought out how sometimes throughout in, in, in the Bible, throughout the literary, it leaves certain words, certain phrases out. And that is just as meaningful as when those phrases are in. And in the Genesis account, um, of creation, you know, you have the first day and it was good. And they ended the first day and the second day. And uh, there was evening and there was morning the third day. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And you hear that phrase Mm -hmm. on all of them. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. But you don't hear that on the seventh day. And it was good, right? And you don't hear that on... um, the seventh day, it does say that the, it was finished. It says that the seventh day, uh, he rested and such. Um, but you don't hear that actual phrase. And, uh, and so he just kind of brought that out and, uh, compared that then into, um, you know, the Sabbath and, and, mm-hmm. and entering into the tomb and that on that seventh day of recreation. And I loved that there's mm-hmm. the creation seventh day. And then on that seventh day of recreation, Jesus ultimately completely finished, and it was very good. And that that Sabbath rest in the tomb was just, uh, instead mm. of, it, I mean, it, it, it took death from something as final to something that is just sleeping. And, uh, and a it's rest. not, it's not a. It, it, it's not an end; it's a beginning. Right? Is that what C.S. Lewis meant when he says that? Uh, when when he talks about Aslan gives his life as a sacrifice. Oh yeah. For, for a, a a perfectly innocent uh-huh. one gives his life for a guilty one. Right. Death starts working backwards. Death begins to work backwards. Right. Which, I love that phrase. That's uh, always been one of my favorites. Death becomes the beginning, mm-hmm. not the end. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that yeah. was a neat um, tie between the seventh day of creation and then Jesus being in the tomb on that holy Saturday 
and that seventh day of recreation and that that was the culmination of, I mean, that was the long awaited for true Sabbath um, was that mm. day in the tomb when we can all, you know, rest in that where death does not become eternal death becomes just sleep we're we're sleeping mm-hmm. you know we sleep in the um, morning, yeah. so that was a new um mm, kind of good. thing that i had heard and then uh, my church you know, pastor Novak gave just a really wonderful sermon <laughs> today too yeah yeah i heard it yeah I was there with you, you guys there. today that was wonderful <laughs> well i i my i, I kind of gave mine away at the beginning but i, I my thought this year has been with the COVID virus and so on, it, death has been emphasized quite a bit. People dying and they keep a death count and so yeah. on. And how that is such a solid door between this life and the next mm-hmm. that we can't, with all of our science and all that, we can't say definitively, except there's this one who went there and actually came back yeah. and spoke of it and right. taught about it and assured us that it's a new beginning. It's Jesus. (laughs) Happy Easter, everyone. See you next week here on The Bible Bible Live. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.